Hello world and welcome to the Notorious P.O.D. I am your host John Bass. This month marked the 26th anniversary of Nas's seminal masterpiece Illmatic. So we thought we'd better make an episode to remember. So for this episode, I'm joined by my Hip Hop Forum squad. Thelonious Philp is up in this motherfucker. What's up, T? What's up? up? All good, man. All good. Good. Good to hear it. And also, we have a very, very special guest this week. He is your favourite rapper's favourite rapper with better pen game than Mont Blanc, more grimy UK bars than Weatherspoons, and one of the greatest battle rappers the UK has ever produced, Tony D is up in this bitch. What's up, Tony? Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm good, brother. I'm good. Squad in the building. We good. Good, mate. Good to have you back on, brother. All right. Been it's been a minute. A minute. Been a minute. But we, um, we've kept this, this album uh, tucked away um, so we could hear your dulcet tones talk about it. Because when you were on before, we did Reasonable Doubt. And I said, oh, would you come back? And you went, yeah, but only if I can do it Mag. So I thought, okay, fair enough. Uh, he's, he's pulling out the big guns. Yeah. Um, so... People have been asking us to do Illmatic for some time. It's probably the most talked about album in hip hop. And we had some questions kind of like, uh, why are you talking about this album? It's the most talked about album in hip hop. But we thought we could put our own spin on it. So we're giving it a go. Um, so, yeah, I just want to um, I just want to get straight into it, boys, if that's cool with you. I'd love to know. Uh, let's let's start with you, T. Um, Thelonious, I would love to know from you, mate, when was the first time that you heard this album? What, were, what are your early memories of it, mate? It's quite sketchy, to be honest, because I was almost shielded from all the hype that went around him. You know, my older brother, you know, he had every single album, every single hip-hop release, and I remember he had this had, um, Nas on vinyl, fairly early doors. And um, Jen, I think intros and skits are something that's kind of a mixed bag in hip-hop. But Genesis wasn't that bad. It was only 45 seconds. And when um, New York State of Mind starts, man, fuck, you just, just completely, you know, bowled, bowled over, really. But I think my first memories is, I, I listened to it from start to finish. I didn't listen to, like, any singles. I just listened to the album itself. So I hadn't heard um, any singles that came before the album, just the album raw. And, yeah, I just think, as everyone will say, New York State of Mind, that's just... An absolute fucking banger. Yeah. No, I totally, totally agree. Sometimes it's nice when you just hear the album without having to um, to hear the singles and you just listen to it in its full form. Um, how about you, Tone? What was your early memories of Illmatic, mate? Uh, to be honest, I think um, one of the being on a bus coming back from school and someone had a uh, halftime. And this was way before the album even came out. But um, yeah, I yeah. Did, I've got Vivid, vivid memory of being on a bus. There was like six of us, um, all sharing the same big old over-the-head headphones. Everyone's got their air craned into it because they're playing off a Walkman. And we're like, look, listen to this, listen to what he's saying, listen to this. Um, so we was like mad hype and wondering when is he gonna drop? When is he gonna drop? Um, and I was just getting ready to leave school when Illmatic finally dropped. Um, and yeah, we used to rinse, it ain't hard to tell. We absolutely kicked the ass out of that tune, man. But yeah, the, my, my override memory is like the 344 bus um, in Bassey and Ilmatic. The two go together like jam and bread, mate. <laughs> the thing is, right, for me, so this is what I always think is like, um, it's difficult for me to talk about these classics. And it's why uh, it's, it's good to have both of you on here. Because for me, like Ilmatic was already a classic album when I started getting into uh, hip hop to the, to the extent that I love it now. 
So for me, it was like it was always established, but I'm always fascinated by what it was, how it was received at the time. And everything that I read, everyone that I speak to that kind of experienced it for real when it was when it was launching was the, the buzz around Nas at that time. And like you mentioned halftime now, I think I think it's like nearly two years between his um, like that, that kind of track being basically in the lexicon of hip hop and then the album dropping. So the buzz must have just been fucking amazing for this like for this kid basically to kind of be coming through yeah i think the um i think it's when it says um, i went to hell for snuffing jesus that's something that really got the hip-hop community talking i mean i kind of did it but asked about face i heard about the legend that came before the album afterwards in a sense i mean um at the time when half time and them tunes are out i wasn't even into hip-hop that much i was more into dance hall so all that all the hype before the album i didn't really catch any of it but I just remember talking about that bar over and over again. I think it was on the on the main source track. Was it mm. live at the barbecue? That's it. And you know, I guess it's a bit like um, I don't know if any of our listeners um, you know watch the NBA or anything. But when players are in high school and they're just hyped, they go to college and they're still hyped. And then the album comes out, so that's when they join the NBA. That's what it was like with Nas. And those days, the source wasn't giving out five mics for fun at all. So the album to get five mics just added to the legend, really. Yeah, what do you remember about the hype tone? Because you mentioned it there that you were kind of like listening to halftime, and then that was kind of all about it. But I, I think the hype for this album was was crazy, right? Yeah, it was nuts, man. It was like proper proper bananas. I think it was coming at a time when, um, like, the West Coast had kind of taken a lot of the shine from New York. With uh, you had like Chronic coming out, you had Doggy Style, um, and like, I mean NWA from like eighty nine ninety. Moving on 91, 92, it was, it was West Coast. It was like a big, big uh, thing. And then you have Black Moon and Wu coming out. Um, and New York was trying to, it's like they were trying to snatch it back. Like as far as I could see it anyway, um, in terms of the music I was listening to. So yeah, when it came out, I can remember um, he's on a song with MC Search and Chub Rock. Back to the Grill again. That's what it's called. Um, and they dropped that video on Yo!, and it, I think that might have been the first time I'd put two and two together. Like, oh, that's that kid there. The yeah. one who said about something Jesus. Like, that's him. The one who made halftime. Um, and just, yeah, just, I can remember being at school and we was all just talking about this guy, like this lyricist and how he seemed to be uh, like uh, Black Moon. I was a big fan of Buckshot Shorty. And when you listen to Buckshot next to Nas, you're like, oh, he's, he, he can't do what he can do, man. Like, the dude was just crazy back then. For the stuff he was saying at 19 years old, man, is incredible. Is it fair to say that, like, we hadn't really seen from, like, from an East Coast rapper, we hadn't really seen that lyrical dexterity or, like, someone that could match, like, the kind of poetry and depth and also have that street edge since, like, Arakim, for example? It, fe- it felt like, think- like a newer version of that, T. Uh, I mean, it felt to me that there's a bit of a void after the Kim kind of, not so much fell off, but kind of, you know, is making less music as such. And as Tony mentioned, Buckshot and Nas were the two people who were most similar in style to, to Rakim. So there was a void. You know, the West Coast was starting to take over with the Chronic and Doggy Style coming out and everyone was hyping over Snoop Dogg. You know, the New York was just trying to get their, trying to get their power back. And... Um, and yeah, the way Nas is talking, no one, I mean, no new MCs are talking like that at all. And I think Nas is someone that just kind of was embraced by all facets of hip hop, not just East Coast, but West Coast too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
For sure. And I think this is, we'll get onto this in a bit more detail about kind of favorite lyrics and verses. And obviously, Tone, I want to kind of get your take on that side of things. But more of a like a general thing here. This to me, like listening back to it. So I listened to it today just to kind of like refresh it. It's an album I listen to regularly. But is is the, the poetic aspect of this album at the time, like we're talking about the West Coast and is, is more kind of like gangster rap, more melodic, more kind of like lighthearted. This like poetic angle that Nas took was probably quite brave at the time. Is that is that kind of your view that it's a quite a poetically written album? Yeah, he's uh at that time I don't I can't think of anyone who was doing what he how he did it. Um in terms like you've got lyricism, you've got Rakim um, uh, and Cool G, who are two, I think you can basically trace every style in hip hop back yeah. to one of those two guys, essentially, um, and a couple others. But those two are like the main. Um, and he just had that, this type of stuff he was saying, he wasn't just, there's not lines. You know, sometimes you hear a rapper and it's like, that line doesn't quite make sense. Or you said that just to make it rhyme. He didn't seem to have that. He just seemed to flow this, this poetry. And yeah, it was, it was incredible, man. I'm, I'm such a fan of that album. It's, it's unbelievable. So we have a question from um, at SK4M1. Uh, and he, he makes a good point. Oh, that's my... You know him, yeah? Yeah, that's my brethren, Scam. Big him up. He's asked some good questions on here. Uh, this one I thought was was quite interesting. It's a nice little take on it. So he's, he put uh, like Nas was nineteen uh, when he dropped this album. What were you doing at that age? And do you know what? Again, I was listening to this album today. This question just stuck in my mind. Just thinking, the level of like maturity in this album from a nineteen year old kid, and he started writing this album when he was like seventeen. Some of the bars are on here from when he was like fifteen, sixteen years of age. Like the the maturity of this album just blew me away. At 19, I was just still just going out and getting pissed and just looking to, you know, take take girls home wherever possible back to my mum's house while she was out. That that's that's what I was doing at 19, and he's he's delivering classics. So um, yeah, he wants to know what we were doing when we were 19. Um, Tone, <laughs> come, you must have you must have some stories, Tone. Uh, you know, 19 uh, 19 was the year I was kidnapped. So like the, the 19 was the year that I decided to myself, I. Right, I'm either going to be a full-on criminal or I'm going to take a step back a little bit. And I took a little step back and I tried to focus more on rap. So essentially, at 19 was the kind of thing that I, I wanted to be the next Nas. Like, I wanted to be able to do what he was doing. So I pretty much, um, yeah, that was me at 19, was just trying to find my feet rap-wise and, and rap like these guys that I listen to. That's beautiful. And a good thing too, mate. Otherwise, this podcast would be a very different story. Uh, <laughs> so T, t tell us um tell us what you were doing at 19 and like how this uh you know how this could affect you well it's not massively um <laughs> trying to think 19 nothing really eventful happened um euro 96 <laughs> show my age a bit there um st still in bloody still still in college listening to um what came out of Isaac? i think um i think jay-z had reasonable doubt out around then I think Biggie was um, working on Life After Death at that time. But yeah, I had no aspirations to rap at all. Um, thankfully, I've moved house a couple of times since that age. So those books of rhymes are lost in the, in the annals of time, thankfully. But, but no, I just think um, that album just changed perception so much, changed perceptions of New York. And um, you know, as we'll talk about later on in this pod, it's become a millstone around his neck. And, you know, if anyone else had done, it was written as an album, it would be lauded a lot more than it is. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a really good point. And also, I, I just think kind of around the idea of this age thing, I, again, I was thinking about, about it a lot today. And um, there are a lot of albums that were uh, around that time from artists that were young, like um, the Infamous. They were both like 19, 20 when that album was was out. And I, I, the thing I took from it was like a lot of the stuff that these New York artists were talking about at that time in their lives was quite, uh, like I said, quite mature themes and to be able to kind of cope with the grief um, and the, the kind of like post-traumatic stress you go through growing up in the environment that they would have grown up in. And I think that, that that's influenced their art massively in a way that, um, you know, for someone like myself growing up in the UK and, and growing up in the suburbs, not experiencing that, all these artists paint paint that lifestyle in a very vivid way. Um, but I think it's easy to kind of forget still their like tender age as, as people to have that emotional maturity to actually write what they're experiencing is is amazing. And I guess like for, for you, Tone, I, I guess that's as an artist yourself, like that's what you draw upon when you're when you're writing. I guess there's an element of, of drawing from your experiences um, from from growing up. Right. Yeah, 100 percent. man. I mean, if you're going to if you're going to rap, it's, it's, it's supposed to be honest. If you're not honest about yourself then i don't know how you expect people to relate like you can tell someone a story about something but if you didn't do it there's details you don't know so the listener is really not going to feel it in that same way um so yeah the 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 maturity is a i think you know what's funny i think dave is probably the closest thing i've ever seen uh from the uk to what nas did at that age because dave as a young boy he's incredible like he's incredibly mature um lyrically He's, he has one or two that are like, man, but lyrically, how he says things, how he expresses himself, he's the closest thing I think I've ever come across um, to Nas at that time. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it's just the, 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 the energy and the ability. He does seem like a kid who spent a lot of time looking out the window at things and just taking it all in, just mm-hmm. observing his surroundings. And he is able to uh, translate everything that he'd seen, everything that he'd been through into, a, into ink. Do you know what I mean? He was able to translate all of that into ink, put it down, and then go and vocalize it, and the whole world stood still. It's it's incredible, man. Yeah, it's a really good point, and like you know, it's it's very easy as well for like again, we're talking about when we were nineteen. You have this like uh, this, and there's a lot of it in hip hop as well. Generally, is this like uh, male ego, this machismo, this like bravado, and like this. It's very easy to get into that, and. There are moments on here, obviously, that are kind of like, you know, self-promoting, but but generally it's quite an introspective. And and like you say, it's like it is that perfect meld of like street reporting. It's like seeing what I'm seeing and just passing it on um, rather than like glamorizing it. It was it was it was really, um, like I said, just mature. I don't really know how else to express it. Like he, he's looking at it from from the lens of someone with a much older mindset which i think is like is is fascinating um right we are going to get into um the murder stats so for those that have never listened before the murder stats are where we basically give you all the facts and stats for the album and then we will continue to to pick apart illmatic so we're going to go into the murder stats and we'll be back after that peace Illmatic is the debut studio album by American rapper Nas. It was released on April the 19th, 1994 by Columbia Records. After signing with the label with the help of MC Search, Nas recorded the album in 1992 and 1993 at Chung King Studios, D&D, Battery Studios and Unique Recording Studios in New York City. The 
album's production was handled by DJ Premier, Large Professor, Pete Rock, Q-Tip, LES, and Nas himself. The album debuted at number 12 on the US Billboard 200 chart, selling 59,000 copies in its first week. However, its initial sales fell well below expectations, and its five singles failed to achieve significant chart success. Despite the album's low initial sales, Illmatic received rave reviews from most critics, who praised its production and Nas's lyricism. On January the 17th, 1996, the album was certified gold, and on December 11th, 2001, it earned platinum certification after shipping a million copies in the United States. The album has sold 2 million copies in the United States as of February the 6th, 2019. Since its initial reception, Ilmac has been recognized by writers and music critics as a landmark album in East Coast hip-hop. Its influence on subsequent hip-hop artists has been attributed to the album's production and Nas's lyricism. It also contributed to the revival of New York City rap scene, introducing a number of stylistic trends to the region. The album is widely regarded as one of the greatest and most influential albums of all time, appearing on numerous bestseller lists and best albums from critic publications. So we have a question from at DBU123. He says, ah, man, I was thinking about this yesterday and wondering when this episode was coming. Okay, so... Is New York State of Mind not the Genesis, the real start of the album? And if so, is Genesis the only imperfection? Um, Thelonious, give me your answer to this one, Max. You mentioned it right at the beginning of the of the pod. You know what? That what this made me think about. Big Ghost did a tweet this week saying something along the lines of Genesis is a, is the best intro of all time. It's uh, probably him being a bit hyperbolic, but um. I think it fits in with the rest of the album. It's not particularly intrusive as an intro. You know, you get some intros where, I mean, for example, we've got Cuban Links. The intro does go on a bit. Mm. And Genesis is about 45 seconds long. And there's him and um, AZ on a train. And it kind of adds to the New York theme, New York image imagery. Um, so I would say it's an imperfection, but... It reminded me of another tweet this week. I think it's a bloke you follow. I think it's Wow That's Hip Hop on, on Twitter. And he asked for your most controversial skips. And mine was One Time For Your Mind. Oh, shit. But uh, it's one of those things I said to answer the question. I don't genuinely think the song is rubbish or anything. But if there is a skip on Illmatic, it may well be that. I don't think that song has aged particularly well. Fair enough. Oh uh, Tone, what are you saying about uh, Gen- Genesis Festival? And then, and then I'll give you a right to reply. <laughs> you know what? Genesis skip, right? I probably heard it the first time I ever played the album. And then I heard it again today when I listened to the album. Because it's a skit and it's at the beginning, I skip it completely. Yeah. I'm only ever really interested in, in like the bars. Do you know who's got a great skit at the beginning? Pun. Punish should be taking them down. Bam, bam. Like that, just as an intro, the beginning part. Yeah, I like that. It's short, it's sweet, it's real simple. Um, Genesis, yeah, it's all right. It's that grimy thing, man. It's that New York thing on the train and that. Um, but yeah, did like I'm not really bothered. I don't care about skits, intros, none of that. I don't even care about beats. I just want words. Give me words. Do you know what I mean? Give me rapping ability. So that's where I'm at with it. Like, I'm yeah, I don't care about the intro at all. Yeah, I've got to say, um, I'm the same. And actually, I'm exactly the same. The first time I ever listened to the album, just listened to it all the way through. And then every other time up until today, I just always skipped it because I was like, oh, there's no point. But I would say in its defense, if you were, say, listening on vinyl where skipping it is not easy an option, it's a very uh, like inoffensive like first 
skit, if you like, or like intro, because yeah. it is it is relatively short. So, um, yeah, I it's mad. Short. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think it's um, I don't think it's the worst um, for for intros wise. And like again, if we if we really spent some time going through some of the best albums, I reckon quite a lot of them have like fairly skippable intros and a shit ton of skippable skits as well. Um, yes. There are some. There are some really good ones, um, <clears throat> like Reasonable Doubt, the the Jay Z um, skit at the beginning. Uh, you know, like the heartbeat, and it comes in like that. That's pretty good. Um, so yeah, some good stuff. All right, um, we got another question from uh, the Breaking Atoms podcast at uh, Break That Atoms, and they say uh, there was a three year gap from his debut appearance on Breaking Atoms to the release of Ill Mag. How important do you think this period was in terms of developing his art and finding his voice and why? Um, Tone, I, I think this would be a good one for you to start with, mate. So what I'm interested in is for a lot of rappers, they talk about how they start a project and then you know, from their experiences and their mindset on stuff will change and then they find it very difficult to kind of go backwards. So how important do you think that, that three-year gap was for Nas in terms of you know, developing his art and then finding his voice for, for what became Illmatic? Um, well, having seen like a couple documentaries and, and like little bits and pieces about the creation of that album and also knowing hip hop at that time, like from he came out uh, um, live at the barbecue and then back to the grill again and whatnot, he had kind of, he had cemented his place. He was that guy. So we had everyone looking at him like, what is he going to do? What is he going to do? And something that I don't know if has happened before or since in the same fashion, that he kind of caught the air of all the, the best producers in New York, they all wanted to make something for him. They wanted him to have that, to have that sound. They wanted him to create that thing um, that he went on to create. And I think that, um, that little three-year period was probably not just him running around Queensbridge, but him hanging around with rappers in his studios. And there's nothing quite like, like I've done it myself, um, as a, as a, like a, a youngster coming into the game, um, I bumped into Skinny Man very early in my career. And he like, it was enough times he took me under his wing and showed me a couple bits and pieces and whatnot. Like, oh, okay. Uh, like he brought me on stage at Scala in one of his sets the same day he met me. And he just changed my view on everything. So like that kind of, um, that he was in that era and you've got like LES, Primo, Pete Rock, like large professor, you've got names who who were doing stuff in the, in in hip hop at that time, and they were be, like they, they were like cramming to get something on this kid's album. So I think that three year period just kind of it it would have done something for him where it would have kind of solidified that the uh, if he was unsure about anything because I think as an artist a lot of times we are unsure about our product and how how it's going to be perceived and whatnot, especially as a youngster because he was 16, 17. So I think kind of that would have made him far more secure and more certain that what he was doing was good. Um, and that he just, just soaking it all up and him being in that environment. I think those three years were incredibly important for him, man. And I, like, you can see the learning process because you can just see how the slight tweaks in his style from live at the barbecue to uh, uh, like the actual album, there are little, little bits and pieces where he's just, all right, he, he doesn't quite rap the same way. He, he's fixed that little piece. He's tweaked that. And I, yeah, I think those three years just helped him hone his his style. I don't think it did anything as much as the pre as the year afterwards. The, the time between Illmatic and it was written, I think, was probably more important for him. But 
that little that little gap that he had before Real Matic, uh, he, he yeah, he helped him grow as an artist, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Uh, T, anything to add on that, mate? I mean, yeah, I mean, just to add on what Tony said, it made me think that a lot of these producers were just dying to work with him, and I think Pete Rock mentioned I don't know what track he heard that made him have to go back and rework um, the world is yours. So you got the you got these gods of hip hop, you know, producers like tripping over themselves to work with him. That must have done wonders for him. And you know, it's like when when Snoop Dogg first came on the scene, in a similar sort of way, he had nothing but a G thing. When he's making his own album, they were working him really, really hard. Okay, you got these hot lines, you got these hot bars, but you gotta make a song now. So probably those mm-hmm. three years is probably where NASA to learn how to make songs and make proper, proper, you know, bangers instead of just like, you know, I went to hell for snuffing Jesus and, you know, um, Star Switch is like a, like a faggot type line. He's got to kind of make proper songs now. So I think in those three years, he did, he did hone his craft. And um, that was probably the biggest development you probably see from him. You know, not, you know, the hotline, hot song, Jay-Z kind of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, mate. Um, yeah, it's uh, all good points. I, th- I think you're right. Um I think yes, it's for, for any artist, right? Time, time can be really useful um, to be able to hone your craft, and especially in those like formative years, definitely, um, definitely improved on that. Um, right, I want to get into which probably like the most interesting and important question of any album, which is like favorite tracks, right? This, this, the simplest thing that we all share is like which tracks do you like, which tracks you know that you favor less, let's say. Um, but I want to, um, I want to um, kind of touch on something very quickly. Uh, because we, we had a question from at Big Davy BG19, and he he just simply says, uh, "Can anyone explain why Represent is the true best track on this album?" Just so I know I'm not alone. Um, <laughs> P.S. Happy birthday for for Lonious Phil for earlier earlier this week. Um, so thanks, we'll, thanks, thanks. We'll take the, yeah, we'll take this point to say happy birthday to our very own Thelonious Phil. So many happy. Thank returns. you, thank you. Um, so yeah, so obviously Big Davey's a big Represent fan. I, I think you could close your eyes, put a finger and and come up with a, a good justifiable reason why any given track is your favourites. But um, Tone, let me let me know your let me know your favourite tracks, mate. Come on. You know what? At, at a certain period of time, every single one of those songs has been my favourite song on that album. Like I can't, I cannot pick. Um, a, 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 yeah, I can't. I can't choose one. Like at various points, it's been New York State of Mind. Then it's been One Love. Then it's been Represent. Then it's been One Time for Your Mind. Then it's been Half Time. Like it just changes. Um, but Big Dave has got a great point because mm-hmm. Represent is one of, yeah, it's just an incredible song, man. It's probably that was the first one whose lyrics I learned all the way through was Represent. Um, but as far as my favorite. Got to be if I had to pick only one, one love, one love. If I had to pick one, um, but other than that, yeah, they're all on. You're, you're talking about 98, 99 percent. You know, it's tweaks, it's tweaks. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's like this is what I mean. You you can just pick anything off here, and you can come up with three or four reasons why it's the best track on the album. Um, how about you, T? What's what were you sticking to this? You know what? <laughs> I'm only gonna get stabbed for saying this, but um, <laughs> one time for your mind represent and memory lane are the three songs I played the least at the time. Okay. At the time, I didn't. I wasn't playing them songs at all. As years went by, I appreciated two of the three a lot more than one time for your mind. <laughs> but 
<laughs> no, represent kind of had that real, real New York sound to it. But favorite track, um, uh, Tony, it's, but it might be One Love because it's just um, Q-Tip really, really smashed it on that track. And it's just such a beautiful song. And mm. even the breakdown of the song, you know, um, it's just, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking as well, really. You know, there's the theme of the song as well. But yeah. yeah, I think I think I think one love, but oh god, I think I mean to pick something different, I think the song I'll probably play the most at this stage would be probably New York State of Mind. So I'll pick that one to pick a different song. Fair. See, I, I kind of um similar in a lot of ways to what you just said there, T, which is like the more uh introspective, laid back, and actually like more musically rich tracks like Memory Lane, uh Life's a Bitch. Uh, one love I kind of I like them but I preferred the more gritty shit New York State of Mind World's Yours Half Time but as I've got older I've really like one track really does stick out for me more than the others that I just think this is such a great piece of music and a, and a great piece of work which is Life's a Bitch because yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I just think like so AZ's feature on here is fucking excellent like it's it's so rare that like a, a feature, first of all, takes like the first verse. Usually it's like the last verse and they, they come in or it's like a back to back. He like comes in and then also does the hook for the track as well. So it's quite unusual. It's almost like an AZ track featuring Nas in a way. And then when, you know, you've got this like lovely LES beat that's like, it's kind of like a, what I'd call like a roller. You know, you're in the car, windows down and you've just got, you've just got it kind of bopping along. And then when the track kind of ends and you have Nas's dad, um, you know, doing that kind of solo section at the end, you put that on when the sunset's coming down in any environment, like middle class barbecue, like working class barbecue, anything. If the sun's out and people are drinking, that song's on. People are feeling that, mate. They are into it. And uh, I just think it's such a beautiful piece of music as, the, as it ends. Uh, and all the bars are straight fire. You know, Nas just comes in, woke up early on my born day. Like, it's just perfect. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> you know what? That, um, that line there made me realize that I see rap slightly different. Because at the time when it came out, I remember my friend saying to me, what does he mean he woke up early on his born day? How does he know? And I kind of <laughs> looked at him like, bro, that's like, is that what you got from it? You think he's talking about time? That it was, and he just, yeah, what a line, man. But AZ, a rapper no one had heard of, nobody had heard of, came in and smashed the feature. And I think he got signed off the strength of that verse, right? Yeah. I'm sure yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. might for that man and that is probably the greatest feature i have ever heard other than uh sparks on beanie siegel's um tales of a hustler i think az has probably got the best feature i've ever heard in my life on that song so yeah i, I get where you i get where you're coming from with life so the bitch is amazing it, it's it's amazing and that you're right man that feature particularly uh, particularly as like a debut feature like for, to, to be able to have that iconic a verse as you're like kind of first major appearance and just to kind of like just just blow it away i just like i don't know man I just, something about that track just just like hits me in my soul when the um like i said when that's like uh, sax or trumpet section at the end it's just it's just so good and actually there's a lot of like and same with um, memory lane as well there's a lot of kind of this um reflective like kind of somber almost uh, tone to the songs and 
life's a bitch is that bittersweet kind of tone to it that i just think is is really is really great and then yeah like latterly like one love is now what easily one of my favorite tracks on this album and the q-tip production um on there is just fucking it's it's that again perfect q-tip it's like somehow it's really hard like really fucking aggressive but it's this beautiful soft jazz sound like that only he can somehow like manage to muster up which is just yeah the guy's just a fucking genius um so got some other questions about like specific tracks um we had a question from uh 365 he actually asked us loads of questions didn't manage to get them all in but this one i thought was particularly interesting so uh he's put what are the chances that the 30th anniversary edition of the album will include a remastered version of nars will prevail which was the demo to uh, it ain't hard to tell surely yeah. it has to appear at some point um and then he's put on the same topic which of the versions of it ain't hard to tell is the best so he's given us the options of um nars will prevail the 1993 version, as heard on Westwood's uh, the Westwood show, which I didn't know straight off the top of my head, so you boys might have to help me out with that one. The album version or the Large Professor remix. I don't know if you boys have got any feelings. Uh, T, we know we know you've got some feelings towards the track anyway, but um, let's um, yeah, let's 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 start with you, mate. Is there any any different versions you prefer? I'll be honest, I don't know the other two he's mentioned. <laughs> I should have probably researched yeah. them, but. Um... So what? I don't know a Marvel. <laughs> well, I've, I, I know Nas will prevail. There might be issues of releasing that because of um, it uses more of human nature than yeah. Ain't Hard to Tell does. I think that's why they kind of redid it. So, but it would be nice because the version that that we've heard is quite grainy. So it would be nice to see that remastered. But the funny thing with that song, it got. I wouldn't say it got grief at the time. It didn't get the respect because it was a bit more commercial than the rest of the album. The rest of the album was quite gritty. And as I mentioned in the last Notorious pod we did together, I mentioned that at the time, if you had an R&B singer and a hip-hop song, it would be straight no, straight bin. And the fact he sampled, you know, quite a soft MJ song like that was a bit... It was one of the songs where the, the real purists thought, you know, what the fuck is this kind of thing? But it's a beautiful song, really. Yeah. Tony, anything to add to that, mate? I'm say, didn't SWV use the same sample at around yes, that time? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so see that, yeah, it was a brave decision to make, man, because you, you right, T, like, uh, uh, it wasn't really acceptable at that time to be putting on R&B singers on your album. Uh, it's funny because, yeah, that 93, 94 is kind of where we, uh, hip-hop started to make that mainstream approach. You started to see 316s and choruses and stuff. Whereas before, yeah. man was rapping for like 28 bars, deciding when he was going to start throw the chorus in. Um, but yeah, it was very it was very different, man. Um, but it, it, I think it added something to the album. It just showed he could do this as well. He did it. He wasn't just this underground, like, rapper in Tim's in a hoodie. Do you know what I mean? He might be able to just jump on a, on a, on a, a different type of beat and finesse it that way. He just showed his versatility. I, I love that song. Do you think the lyrics sound a bit young, though, in the sense that the rest of the album touched on gritty themes? This was just kind of lyrics as bars, not really about anything as such. Did you think that, Tony, at the time? I did, but that's what I liked about it. it like that song, one time for your mind, funny enough, and half time, they kind of hark back to the bossy, like the boastful hip hop era of just, I'm a great MC. Um, so like, it ain't hard to tell why Excel then prevail. The mic is contacted. I had a chat client. I could just rap the whole thing for you, man. Yeah. But like, yeah, I, 
saying because it just kind of it wasn't really a subject matter there wasn't a theme to it it was just him rapping just doing that rapping rapping stuff and like that's my favorite part of hip-hop man i'm not gonna lie i'd like i'd rather listen to big l than immortal technique all day because i want to hear punchlines rather than your message i'm just that kind of a guy um so yeah i i like i like that i really liked what he did with that with that song there yeah uh, I'm I'm more on that side of um of on on that side of hip hop tone. I just want to sometimes I do just want to hear fucking bars from people and just just going in hard. I think halftime fits perfectly with that context because it kind of sits literally between two halves of the album. And actually, one of the things yeah. that I wanted to ask both of you two, and I've been thinking about this a lot today, was that I actually feel that this album could be ordered differently. And this is really controversial for like one of the greatest albums ever. Um, but I feel like the gritty, the grittier tracks should have been at the beginning, and then you could have had half time exactly where it is, and then maybe moved like "Life's a Bitch" um, and like "World Is Yours" to nearer the end, where it's more. So you move. It ain't hard to tell up, uh, represent up, and maybe one love, and then you basically move the rest to the end, so that the album finishes with the more uh, introspective and like thought provoking. Um, stuff on the second half of the album because it, it like for me anyway listening back to it like New York State of Mind followed by Life's a Bitch and then World Is Yours just seems like you're kind of going up and down a bit from a emotional point of view listening back to it but maybe I'm just overthinking it. I don't know what you boys thought about that uh, T um, I think if that album was made 10 years later that would have happened yeah. I think hip hop back then was a lot more free form, a lot more gritty, where they don't really consider. I mean, obviously they, obviously there's some thought that goes behind the ordering of the album, but I think the, the way hip hop was back then, it was just so gritty and grimy, where not everything was perfect, and that probably made it perfect in a way. You know, it's a bit like you know what I've always said about Thelonious Monk playing the right notes, not even in the right order, but just playing the notes, the right melody, and that's what hip hop was back then. It's not about you know, commercial success or selling an album is mm. about putting the tracks where you thought they should have gone. Maybe Nas thought that the tracks been in the order that they were told a story for him. Maybe that's how he felt. But I do agree with what you're saying, that that that, that, that there was logic in what you've just said in terms of um, reordering the tracks a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's some logic to it. But I'd I'd just I'd be kind of scared in saying, hey Nas, you kind of did that wrong. I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna say yeah, I think he had a plan. And I think he executed it too. Like he executed his vision. So I'm not going to sit here and say, ah, oh, I think maybe you should have done that then. Cause I just love it. I love it in its entirety. Yeah. I get, I get, I guess you're right. When you, when you put it like, is it, is it big John Bass or Nas has got it right? I think it's, it's, it's a, <laughs> I'm a bit, I'm a bit out of pocket with that one. So I'll, I'll, I'll get back, in, I'll get back in my box. Okay, so boys, I wanted to um, I wanted to start talking about the producers uh, on this album, and I, I came across this piece of trivia which I just thought was amazing. Um, basically, during the making of New York State of Mind, um, Premier basically came up with this little little gem of of info which I thought was great. He said, "When we did New York State of Mind at the beginning, when he says straight out of the dungeons of rap, um, you hear him say, I don't know how to start this shit because he'd literally just written it. He's got the beat running in the studio, but he doesn't know how he's going to format." And how he's going to convey it. So he's just going, I don't know how to start this shit. And I'm counting him in to begin his verse. Like one, two, three. And then you can hear him go, yo. And then he's straight into it. And that, and they did it in one take as well. Which, which is oh my God. sensational. 
Um, so it just, I thought all these little um, tidbits of information were amazing, but it just, to me, it kind of highlights a couple of things. Like one, the, the, the quality of the producers that were working on this, um, this album, the fact that this, this piece of trivia is famous is, is partly down to the fact that it's DJ Premier telling this story. Um, and like we've spoken about before, the, the list of producers on this album alone, it almost sounds like, um, like Avengers Assemble. It's like the very best in hip hop come together to make this New York classic. So yeah, obviously you've got uh, Premier, LES, Pete Rock, Large Professor uh, and Q-Tip, which... For, for New York, you can't really get much better than that at the time um, as a who's who of, of producers. So I know we've, we've spoken about it a little bit, but um, Tone, I'd love to get your view on, on kind of what this actually meant at the time to have those um, those producers together on someone's debut album. Man, well, first of all, it would have never been heard of before. Um, you're looking at a, a, a time in hip hop when a lot of rappers still had a DJ. So, do you know what I mean? Like, so you had one producer, one day, like, they made everything and you rapped on it. And that was your little combination. Um, or you had, it was very, it was very much one producer producing the majority of an album. Do you know what I mean? Um, and he just kind of came in and kicked the doors off. Like, people knew he was like the special one. They knew he was the, the, the golden child. So they wanted to get in on the ground level. And I just think it's, it's more, it says a lot about what he was at that time and about what hip hop was at that time, New York especially, that all of these major producers were not just willing to take a chance on this young, unproven kid who just kicked a couple of hot 16s, but like they, they, they were going to craft an album together out of it, man. Um, and like, yeah, it's amazing. I, I'm, it's probably unprecedented in that particular time to have so many different producers of the caliber that he had. You know, where, when else does it happen? Could you name another hip hop album prior to that? Uh, certainly not prior to it, and, and even after it, mate. I think you'd be you'd be struggling to find an album with that that caliber of producers across the board. Like it's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable now looking back on it. Um, how incredible that is. Um, T, I'd, I'd love to get your view on it, mate. Um, in terms of the best beat on the album, or what do I think about just, all just, the producers on it? Yeah, just the producers and kind of like the impact of, of what that, you know, what that actually kind of means really and how that worked. I mean, there's an article that really stuck with me that that album kind of ruined hip hop. I mean, it's one of those where the headline kind of doesn't really match the article. But... Um, I think since then, people have been kind of chasing the rainbow where they have like a set of elite producers on one album. And that's the way hip hop is now, where back then, as Tony mentioned, you'd mainly have one producer on the whole thing, maybe two or three. But now it's like, okay, I've got to have a beat from this guy, from that guy, from that guy. It doesn't always work. No one's really recreated Ilmatic since then. But what I will say is that Pete Rock was two years off doing their reminisce over you. Um, Q-Tip did bits on three Top Request albums in a row. Um, Primo had Daily Operation and I think Hard to Earn that year. So these guys are like at the height of their powers and you've got Nas at the height of his powers. So it was just, it was a beautiful thing. And sometimes the stars align and that's what happened with Illmatic. Yeah, mate. Yeah, it's, you know what? That's a good point. Yeah, sorry to cut you, but you see, um, like how you said, people will say, well, I need a beat from him and I need a beat from him. The way that came together was kind of organic. 
Mm. Like they wanted to do this thing. It wasn't about um, Nas didn't go out and say, okay, I want Pete Rock and I want LES and I want Primo. Those producers said, we're going to come to you and we're going to do this. And I think that's the, that's the difference. It was far more organic the way it came together. Um, and that's why you can't replicate it or recreate it. Yeah, spot on there. I read something else from Primo and he was basically saying that he he heard uh, Halftime uh, and he was like kind of, like, well, I heard some early Nas stuff basically and was kind of like blown away by it and was a bit like, fuck, this is the hardest shit. I, I need to work with this guy. And I think that there's a similar story kind of across you know, the other producers on this album. And you're right, um, Tone, I think that he, they approached him about being involved in this project because they saw this as like, they saw it as a landmark change and a sea change in in, in certainly New York hip hop. And um, mm-hmm. I think that they got the best out of all of their respective talents and actually crafted a nice, you know, like now, if you listen to an album, you know, it's been out that have a that have a primo feature, right? You can hear that primo feature straight away, like it stands yeah. out, yeah. But they they managed to somehow like weave Pete Rock and Premiere and Q Tip sounds so that it com- like complemented each other, which I think is also quite rare these days to be able to like fit these different production styles, and and they all have their own styles to keep them that neat together was was amazing, I think. Um, all right, let's um let's do the the next most difficult question after your favorite tracks what are the best beats on this album um tone i'd I'd love to get your view from like again from an artist's point of view what would what would you like to rap on off this album which is kind of an easy question i'm guessing because kind of similar to the the first question about favorite tracks but i'd I'd love to know what you think is the best beat on this album mate uh you know what i am the worst guy i did uh there's a skit on Rascar's second album. It's a phone call. And he says, beats? I give a fuck about a beat. I'm a lyricist. <laughs> and that that's, I, I don't get, I don't understand beats. I, I don't care about them at all. Um, but my, I think New York State of Mind would probably be the one I would be most likely to rap on. That or One Time For Your Mind. Those are the, those are the two that would kind of fit me the best the way I rap. So, Tony, can I ask you a question, mate? Um, based on what you just said there. So, when you know, like some artists, they will, um, they will just write with essentially with no music, and then they'll hear, they'll get played beats in a studio, and then they'll be like, okay, yeah, this one goes with this, and this one goes with that. And then other artists, they'll come into the studio with nothing, they'll hear a track, and it like um, inspires them, and they start writing. Like, what is your typical process if you don't, if you don't, if the beats don't really conjure the imagery? Like, what is your inspiration in that way then? Just the topic, the theme at hand, I, I'll tend to just to, to, I know where words go. It doesn't matter what BPM the beat is, the words and the breaths are always going to go in the same spaces. Um, so I know where the words go. So it doesn't really matter. To, I was just sitting right by myself. I don't, I don't need a beat. I don't particularly, there's times I'm just be, I'll be by myself just writing rhymes in my phone and I know it will translate onto whatever beat I decide it will because I know where the words go. So, yeah, for me, it's just... Um, but saying that, they're my favourite verses I've ever written are the ones where I've been in the studio, I've heard the beat, and I'm like, okay, I'm writing that to this beat. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of... It's, it's sort of messed up. Um, it's a little bit complex. But, yeah, I'm not really... A, I, I don't really care about what the beat is. The beat is for other people. That's for whoever else is listening for it. I just want a rap. That's an an interesting point, actually, because there was there's been very much a switch in hip hop whereby um, 
in the earlier days it was more about the bars and what was in that side of it but i think after the early to mid 90s it became a more of a beat thing so like in the in the mid to late 80s which is probably the start of the golden age of hip-hop there's beats that people remember um i don't know maybe south bronx or the bridges over yeah. but there weren't a big deal made about them it's more about what was said and and you got the yep. you got the mid nineties. You got like come clean and I don't know protect your neck and beats like that where people talk about them almost more than the lyrics. Sometimes I think come clean is an example where yeah. people uh, don't talk about the bars half as much in that. Mm-hmm. It's all about that beat. So that that's primo again, ain't it? Huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, yeah, I get that. Like, cause yeah, no one Jay with the damager was not really renowned as I mean he had lyrics but he wasn't he wasn't that guy do you know what I mean he wasn't a big L he wasn't a big pun so I, I think that that beat yeah you hear that come clean beat and you're like ooh okay but yeah I fully get what you're saying man I that the, the focus on the beat did come round about the mid 90s and later where but I think that's to do with the fact that we were getting radio play by them we were getting like people were making actual pop songs songs that could chart at that particular yeah. time I mean, so I think that's where the difference kind of shifted. People realized they could make money getting radio rotation. So you need something that's palatable to the average listener's ear. The person who's not a hardcore hip hop fiend and he's not going to listen to how you like what you did with your sentence structure there. They're not paying attention. They just want to hear the beat and nod their head. And I think that kind of as soon as people realize we can get money, we can we can make radio hits um, and like obviously Yarm TV raps and whatnot. Um, people making songs that could just be crossover hits. Uh, yeah, everything kind of changed and people did focus a little bit more on it. But for me, yeah, I'm, I'm just about bars, man. I like writing. I mean, the interesting thing about that point there was that when we talk about Primo and other producers, we say, yeah, they've made this beat and that beat. They never say, well, Primo, I mean, some of the producers often talk about how they've restructured bars and they say maybe this bar goes here or there. That's never really talked about. They always talk about the beats and that's kind of where music production isn't about making good beats. It's about getting the best out of an artist, whether, you know, they should deliver a rhyme this way or that way. They, they've got an input too and that's not, that's something that's probably underreported in the rap game. Yeah. Yeah, that group home, group home's first album was all Primo produced. The beats, bang. One of I think it might have been Malachi. He was maybe one of the worst rappers I've ever heard in my life. Oh, fucking dreadful. Search him on search the name on Twitter and you'll see. <laughs> oh, like that. <laughs> but yeah, like the beat, like it, you, it's exactly right. You kind of get remembered. Oh yeah, Primo made that beat. He didn't. Primo didn't make that song. Do you know what I mean? The song was the two of them together, but oh no, Primo made that beat. I get exactly what you're saying, T. That's my, I didn't even think about it like that before. But, but I think that's a, that's a wider problem with hip-hop, which is that we, as a, like, as a culture, we basically like downgrade everything to do with hip-hop. I read this uh, article the other day, which was about the fact we call like the golden era of hip-hop is mainly referred to as old-school hip-hop, whereas every other genre, when they talk about their golden era, they, they talk about it as like classic like hip hop or Less. classic rock and roll, right? And we, this is exactly the same thing. We we call producers like in any other industry, like the Jimmy Iveens of this world and all these other legendary producers that were producing for 
um, you know, the Beatles and Pink Floyd and all these other like iconic rock and roll bands, they'll they'll be classed as like producers, and people will lord up their the impact on that. But in hip hop, it's like they're a beat maker, and it's like it's like a downgraded version, and like it's it's almost like we're kind of reticent to give people praise beyond what it should be, and I think it's a bit of a shame. I think it's kind of a broader issue with hip hop that kind of like wants to kind of denigrate itself when actually we should be like trying to uplift these amazing amazing people um that's an, that's an interesting point i mean it brings us to i mean i'm not going to try and you know digress too much it brings us into like the oldies versus the young people i feel that hip-hop feels always feels like a young people genre and the way i look i mean today's hip-hop not some of it isn't great but i think if i'm 20 years old and someone in their 40s is saying that what i'm doing is shit i'm going to keep doing it <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want someone twice my age praising what I do or what I like. You know, I mean, the stuff my nephew listens to and people around, you know, he's what, 18, 19, he loves, he loves Little Uzi Vert, for example. But I'd never say, oh, that's rubbish because I'm more than twice his age. What's he going to listen to me for? I said, look, just enjoy what you enjoy because when you're my age, people are going to say Little Uzi Vert is crap and something maybe even worse is good. So that's the problem hip hop has. Hip hop has always been. It's always kind of belonged to the young, the young people. Yeah. But I think that's because it's such a young genre. Like, I'm yeah. essentially round about the same age as hip-hop. Like, mm. hip-hop came out probably two, three years before I was born. So, like, it is, I'm the same age as it. You know what I mean? I'm the same generation. So it does seem like a young man's game because it's so new. And because it's so new, it's constantly you're finding new ways to innovate. And then each generation comes up and changes it. Like, I'm from... The era I'm from, I didn't really take to Nelly. I looked at someone like Nelly, like, what are you doing with my beloved rap music? I don't like this. But now you've got an era of people who are like, yeah, damn, Nelly was doing his thing, da 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 and I don't like this newer stuff. And like, yeah, all right, it's, it's just that generation, the generational gap. And I think you're right, T. It's because it is really a young man's, it's a young man's genre, it appears to be anyway. But because the music is so young itself, we don't have any... Like, look at the Rolling Stones. How old is Mick Jagger? In his 70s now? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The dude has been famous for 50 years. Hip-hop is not even 50 years old. So it's a very different way of looking at things. But, yeah, this is an interesting point. Yeah, and also, like, to to back up what you're both saying, also hip-hop is very different in the sense of, by its very nature, it's confrontational, right? It's I'm better than you, and I'm going to prove why I'm better. I rhyme this way, I do this. And it's that, that whole culture in hip-hop of like bettering people and pushing things forward is what makes it so brilliant as what made it become the biggest genre in the world but it's also then what what creates some of this negativity which is like there's never going to be a, a movement that is going to be like oh no we're shit compared to everyone that was before but please listen to us like that's that's not what hip-hop's about hip-hop is about i'm gonna fucking smash you up one way or another whether that's because i outsell you and because people like going mad to my shit and i i don't say anything of worth but people love it or it's like I'm lyrically better than you and I'm going to fucking murder you. And I think we get, and we, we've spoken about Griselda a few times on this pod recently, how they, they've brought that more uh, lyrical, boom, bappy, New Yorky sound back. And it's and it's like a wave of, of making that popular again. And it's just it's just cyclical in that sense. But I think it's hip-hop's nature to be confrontational um, and kind of uh, competitive. That's why these people feel this way. But um, I do also think in terms of like the production, like question around the idea of like bars 
uh, versus like amazing beats. I think for me, when you get that perfect complement of the two things, that is when you, you it, like it elevates both to another level. And like a good example of that is, so we were talking about uh, J Rude, the damager. And obviously Come Clean is is like a, a considered a classic instrument or classic beat in hip hop. And um, I, I heard um, Puffy talking about, he actually bought a uh, 10 crack commandments beat from Primo for Big because he came into a session when uh, Prem was preparing that beat for Jeru, and he was like, oh, wow. "What the, fuck, what the fuck is that? Whatever you want for it, I'll, I'll take it off your hands for Big. Like Big wants it." And he was like, "So, he, so Prem was like rubbing his hands together, like, shit, I'm gonna get some money off Puff." And um, then he was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll sell you the beat as long as we can do the session together." And then obviously, um, Prem did the little cuts and like all the little uh, kind of like uh, sound effects and samples and stuff. And that track is the perfect blend to me of someone who has got bars and characteristics and that beat elevates that track to the next level. So, and I think there's a lot of uh, tracks on this album on Illmatic that are that perfect complement between incredible bars and beats that complement those bars. And when you get that like mesh of those two things, you have a classic on your hands. Yeah. The funny thing with those beats is that, um, so life's a bitch is yearning for your love essentially. Um, I forget the name of One Love. It's not even Liston Smith. But, you know, I guess old older thoughts of me would say, well, you, ju you just wrapped over an in those instrumentals. So mm -hmm. it's probably why I probably praise World Is Yours a little bit more, even if it does use a Teal Rock, you know, the World Is Yours kind of thing. But that's the thing with producers in hip-hop. They don't get... They get credit from from the fraternity in terms of doing beats, but they do so much more. Oh, yeah. Well, it's the difference between a beat maker and a producer. Like, I've yes. been in the studio with someone who can just make beats. So we're in there, I go and rap my verse, I come out and I go home. But then I've been in the studio with actual producers who are like, okay, I think you should say this bit a little bit. Like, you see when this part in here on the beat comes on, I want you to do this thing with your voice. So you've got people that try to elevate what you are doing lyrically. Yeah, and yeah. they kind of do that so that sonically it sounds, it sounds how it fits the picture they've got in their imagination. And that's the difference between someone who just makes beats and an actual producer. Like, even me, myself, I'm not an artist. I'm a rapper. I rap. I am in no way, shape, or form an artist. I do not, I don't sit and tweak stuff. Like, I don't think, oh, what beat would this marry? And let's work on this. And now I just rap bars on music and I go home. Um, and I think that's the major difference is you've got those guys. Illmatic is a very good example of production happening of people being in the studio and, okay, how do we make the best that we can? What do we, how do, how do we collaborate and create this magic? Rather than, here's a beat, you got bars for that beat? All right, boom, there you go and there's a song. Because I've made songs like that before, but I've also made that, that same type of thing when you're in there and you're going through a selection of beats and you're like, okay, that one. And the producer saying, okay, well, you know what I felt on this? Do you know what I kind of heard when I, when I made this beat? You have a conversation and you see how you can merge it together. The two people's ideas come together and it elevates the, it elevates the bars and the beats. And I think that's the major difference. In this album, you hear that very, very... Uh, yeah, you can just hear it. You can hear they came together and collaborated and made magic. Yeah, spot on, mate. Spot on. Another, another question um, from Am, uh, at Sam Rock Wheezy. He asks, after such an impeccable, perfect album musically, is it fair to say his... Uh, his beat selection went massively downhill after which in turn stunted his progression. If he'd have matched it 
uh, matched its level of consistency on the rest of his album, surely he'd be the undoubted king of New York. Now, Nas gets a lot of shit for being a uh, bad selector of beats. And after what we've just spoken about, um, T, which is obviously like for you, it's just about I want to fucking hear him spitting. What I'm interested to know is like, I do think there is something in, in the aspect of if you're if you're amazing lyrically, but you pick a beat that doesn't chime with what you're talking about, you sometimes can lose the impact of of spitting in that way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I do think that if Nas had just, maybe not all of them, but had stuck to this core group of producers and maybe had like just one of them do another album with him and then, you know, kind of worked his way through, I do think his career might have looked very different. Um, but it's, it must be difficult to not want to step outside of that of that realm. Um, but what, what do you think? Like, wh- where did he go wrong, basically, if he did um, after this album with, with beat selection and, and producers? Uh, I don't, do you know what? I don't know if he went wrong, necessarily. Mm. I think that there's, there's, a, uh, there's a thing in, in hip-hop, they say your first album is like the first 20 years of your life. And then your second album is the year between releasing your first album and your second album. So yeah. there's far less content right for you to draw from because you, you you put your entire life experience into one album to make sure that you said it with everything you wanted to say and now you've got to draw off your new your new far more recently experiences um and then you also got to take into account what was happening with hip-hop at that time it was becoming a global like for instance for anyone who knows nas and a big you could say only 15 percent of those people are going to know who cool mode is or Grandmaster Kaz, right? So you've got a generation that were, were all of a sudden, Biggie was making hypnotize. He was making radio songs. He made Juicy. Um, they, they were making stuff that were made for radio play. There is nothing on the Matic that was made for the radio. Uh, it ain't hard to tell. It's probably the closest you're going to get to it. So second time around, he's got to keep up. And you've got to remember, he's competing with Jay-Z at this time, with Reasonable Da. He's competing with Cuban Lynx. Um, all of these things that came out that had not just that hardcore New York sound, but had a commercial aspect that translated radio to, into a radio-friendly thing. So he kind of, I think he just kind of started, okay, let me make songs that I think can, can take me in that direction, that can get me a pop fan base. And at that, especially that time, I think a lot of hip hop fans looked at him like, why are you, Why do you want those people? Because I was kind of one of them myself. Like, where are you taking this? Where are you going with this thing? But it's, it's an artist. It, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's what the artist wants to do, man. I couldn't sit here and say, ah, oh, Nas, you should have done this and you should have done that. Because there's, a, I read a very good article stating why it was written is better than Illmatic. And when you read this article, it's somewhere online, but if you read it, the points they make it like, oh, do you know what? I can actually see what you're saying right here. But yeah, in terms of what he actually did, I don't think it's a bad beat selection. I think it's just, he kind of went away from what he had made his name as. He made his name as this underground, gritty street poet with the very elitist of boom bap hip hop producers for his debut album. And then for his next album, he had the track masters on it. Do you know what I mean? He had videos with guys from Good for, uh, guys from Casino. Do you know what I mean? Like he had actors in in his team. Yeah. Um, so it was a very very big change and a very a split kind of from what he had previously done. So I see why people weren't necessarily as on board with it. But I don't think it's just, it's because he just picks shit beats. But what do I know? I pick shit beats all the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
T, T, what do you think about this, mate? About about Nas and his big collection? I mean, I'm probably talking to the wrong crowd here, but a lot of people talk about Rick Ross and it's often said that the beats he picks are absolutely amazing. You know, why can't he have Rick Ross's ear for a beat? And that brings us back to the earlier conversation as well about the importance that beats have in current hip-hop. <clears throat> By early on, what you said is more important. Now it's about the the hold, you know, whether it be the beats or whatever. And at the time, I was fucking disgusted if it was written. I bought that on vinyl pretty much as soon as it came out. And I thought, what the fuck is this? There's nothing to really get your teeth into on that album when you first hear it. As I think it's aged very well, though, to be fair, that album. It's aged, aged very well. He had um, Havoc on a couple of tracks. And Havoc was someone who, I guess, in mainstream hip-hop was known for the infamous. I mean, Mobley did albums before that, but I think Havoc might have done two or three tracks in that album. But it's difficult, because if your first album is all met, everything you're going to do after that is going to be treated badly. And it took Jay-Z to kind of jab him a bit, to kind of you know, put him back in the game with um, Stormatic and Godson, which are two amazing albums. Mm. So it's one of those hip-hop, I guess some people call it a hip-hop what-if, you know, with Nas' career. But I think he can be fairly happy with what he's achieved. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at it, if you take out the fact that um, people see, and I think a lot of it is perception, right? People see such a high with Illmatic that you're right. It's, it's hard to, even if it is in isolation, like if, if like you said at the beginning of the pod, too, if, if uh, it was written, was released first, that would have still been a high. It just wouldn't have been as high as Illmatic. So it always seems like a step down. But in reality, you know, it was written, has got amazing, like... I gave you power is one of Ooh. the most genius, just the most genius songs I've ever heard. The bars are sensational. The imagery is so vivid. Uh, again, we talk about that perfect chime between instrumental uh, and beats. And get, get a shot. It's premiere that beat. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, I think I think it's stuff like that that sort of annoys people because you kind of think when you hear glimpses of "I Gave You Power," you kind of think, "What if like there were." these were backed up with with more but generally like if you look at Nas's overall career like he's he's still done amazing things and still is always in the conversation for you know certainly best rappers in New York and, and best rappers to ever live so I think um yes he's always going to be judged harshly because he had such a great success but the argument is like would you rather have a great success and then be constantly criticized for the rest of your career or never reach those heights and it's like yeah, I feel I feel it's a bit of a timing thing as well. In the time that when he came out was '94, and hip hop changed an awful lot in those next five six years because you had the Wu Tang Clan who were in their lane of their own. You had Jay Z who released one amazing album, and uh, well, I guess it depends on what frame you're using. But the second album he did wasn't very good. Um, was it in my lifetime? Was that the album? Yeah, yeah. And and he tries to do the whole ghetto fabulous Hawaiian shirt thing. And Nas's second album was probably a little bit more, you know, Versace and all that kind of stuff. So hip-hop was going through so many changes. So I think there's an element of that. Maybe if Illmatic was released in 1992 and it was written as released in 94, maybe that would have helped him a bit more. So it's it's a difficult one, really, because hip-hop, is, as, as Tony said earlier, it's, it's a very young genre and it changes so quickly. So it's there's so many there's so many moving parts of, of Nas's career. So we were just talking off air about uh, about Nas um, basically having having a bit of a, a downward trend until Jay Z told him he was shit 
uh, and he better fucking sort his life out. Um, <laughs> which I think is kind of an interesting moment in his career, like certainly like injected something into him, which which he probably needed at a time to, yeah? Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about the, the sort of Primo versus Rizzo battle and Second Childhood, I absolutely bummed that song at the time. I bumped it so much, man. You know, the beat and the whole story about it. But what it made me think about was, um, I think me and Tony talked about this the other day, it might be even longer ago than I thought, but Nas is dropping verses everywhere. Nas did verbal intercourse. He did um, mm-hmm. what was the mob? What was the mob deep one? Was it Eye for an Eye? Yeah, Eye for Yep. And Cool G rap um, Fast Life. These are oh, bars mate. that you know a lot of a lot of heads could say off the top of it. You know, guys know these you know bars. It smoke trees considerably. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, and he's done, it was written in the midst of all these verses. And, you know, people are like, why did you fucking do these verses on your bloody album? <laughs> you know, so Nas has it really tough, man. I feel, I feel sorry for him. He yeah. can't win. Do you know what? He peaked so early. He peaked with his very first album. It's like, yeah. it would be like winning the league. Yeah. Like the, the, you're, you're 16 years old. You get put into the first team and you score 40 goals in a season and you win the league. And then next year, you only score 20, but you win the FA Cup. And people are like, ah, oh, he fell off. You're like, well, I scored 20 goals a season and won the FA Cup, mate. What do you mean I fell off? And you're like, because people want you to score 40 goals and win the league every single year. And, exactly. like, no one's... No, no, I agree. Yeah, I agree. yeah it's, it's, it is mad. But, um, yeah, I think, look, it's, it's like all these things in life. If, you're, if you do well, you're there to be shot at. And I think the only reason that you get so much stick is because people see how good he is and and it's almost like a sense of like it's a compliment really like no no one's digging out shit rappers no one's going oh fucking hell you should be doing so much better because no one no one cares and they're not rooting for the, the shit ones they're rooting for the the ones that are good and it manifests itself in in critique so so there we go which is why this, this is podcast... like the rap. <laughs> yeah exactly and that's why this podcast gets so much so much fucking stick maze because we're, we're the best to do it um <laughs> <laughs> Right, I want to um, I want to talk about um, the features on this album, or really the feature. I know like uh, Q-Tip obviously does um, kind of the chorus on One Love, but the, the main feature is obviously like AZ. What what I'm interested to know, because I like to kind of rewrite history, is if we had to have one more feature, so we were forced to have another feature on this album, what track and who would we put on that slot? So I, I wanted us to try and think about the time frame. And like, if we could get someone around the era that would make sense, and then if it was like done today, say like a remaster for the thirtieth anniversary. So like, you know, w- which track and who would we put on from the time, and who would we put on from now? Um, T, I'll start with you, mate. Fucking, that's a massive question. Mm. Well, I mean, because I'm old enough to have been around at the time, I guess Biggie would have been a nice one to have. Oh, you know, shit. I mean, he got a bit—he got a bit of stick for biting Nas's album cover on the Raekwon album, but it would have been nice to have had Biggie on there just for the New York point of view. So I'd probably say him. Fair tone. Yeah, I, I would have gone with Cool G Rap. I think like they, their their styles complement each other really well. So I would have gone, yeah, for another feature, Cool G, just for being the Queen's veteran that he is. Yeah, I like that. I, I was thinking also along the the Queen's thing, and and um. Obviously, you know, a couple of years later, uh, the the favor is returned on on Mob Deep. So I would have I'd like to have seen maybe both uh, Havoc and Prodigy on on this project, um, and like 
I guess like New York State of Mind would have would have made sense. I think I could hear them on on that. Um, and then obviously it keeps that Queens thing. And then obviously when Nas returns the favour on eye for an eye, uh, would have been some nice symmetry there. But um, yeah, as we discussed before, like I think AZ's like feature on here is 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 top tier classic features of all time, and it's mm-hmm. just, it's one of the best. And and AZ generally is uh, is amazing. And actually, this ties into a question from friend of the show, Mr. Genesis Elijah. Big up, Big Gen. Um, and he says uh, is Nas actually overrated as he has more bad albums than good ones and are AZ Tragedy and Core Mega better than him wow. <laughs> sorry no let's start with that one mate um, well first of all I'm just going to say no because if you want to talk about having more bad albums than good ones I can only name I can name two AZ albums but I only like one of them um, and like, as far as Core Mega and Tragedy like, meh, or how many classic albums do they have? Do they have an Illmatic? I don't think so. Do they have an It Was Written? I don't think so. Do they have a Stillmatic? Nope. Do they have a Godson? Nah. So even though he's made more bad albums than good to certain uh, opinions, I don't think any one of them have ever come close to doing what he did with Illmatic or It Was Written. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they've had better albums than him. As far as rapping ability... AZ on a technical level yeah. probably is a technically a better rapper than Nas. Um, uh, as far as Cormega and Tragedy, no, they're really good rappers, but technically they're not better than Nas in any way, shape, or form. The only one I'd say who's who's better than him in terms of ram constructing rams is AZ. Tim, but still, you- yeah, I'll go for uh, Nas. Nas is better than Bang. There we go. <laughs> T, what are you saying, mate? I can't call you can't call Nas overrated, man. I think that, as I said, his albums are treated on a higher tier than everyone else's albums are. Stillmatic, Godson, it was written. Even Life Is Good, these would be those are enough. I mean, and Nilmatic, that's like four or five good albums there to make a legacy in hip hop. Look at people's careers generally. Not many of them have. I mean, I'm not a big Jay Z fan, but '95 to '03, man made at least four or five. Four, four mic and above albums. Not many people in hip hop do that. Hip hop is a very rare genre like that. You look at the best, the best rappers of all time in people's lists. Okay, Biggie died early, but you've got people like Rakim. His solo stuff didn't bang that much. Yeah, you know, and um, I don't know, Ice Cube. He peaked early as well. So, you know, look at hip hop as a whole. Then I think Nas is treated very harsh. I don't, I don't think he's overrated. As for the three guys he mentioned, I can't say I've got an encyclopedic knowledge of any of them, but I don't think they're better than Nas, from the little I've heard of them. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, between kind of what you've both said is is basically how how I feel as well. I think I think AZ is the only one who gets close um, from an ability point of view, and I actually think AZ is. Uh, if we're talking about Nas being overrated, which I don't think he is, I think AZ is criminally underrated. Um, I think AZ is is fucking excellent and i don't think people talk about him in the same category of of other artists that he's certainly on a level with so you know if there's that if there is that top tier that mount rushmore that next category down that that hosts a lot of excellent art like a lot of excellent rappers and artists az would be in that category for me um and i I don't think he's like talked about anywhere near enough Uh, and then like for me I've, i've always been a big fan of cormega but i really like him as a as a featured artist, like he always adds something, but I don't know if like a whole album worth of stuff um, is enough to entice me in. So 
Um, good question, though, Jen. Appreciate that. Because the thing of you mentioning AZ made me think of OC, almost rhymes. Yeah. But um, <laughs> OC is someone who's done a decent body of work. I've not listened to loads of AZ. I haven't listened to Do or Die. I've not listened to anything he's done after. But someone like OC almost had a bit of an Indian summer. He had the album with Apollo Brown. That was fucking amazing. What, trophies? You know, there's Smoke and Mirrors and I think it's Bon Appetit. And OC is someone, who, someone else who's quite overrated, underrated, I'd say. Yeah, well, OC, so if, again, I, t- I feel like I talk about it all the time on this podcast. The, the Stretch and Bobito um, Radio That Changed Live documentary is pretty much the best hip-hop documentary I've ever seen. And obviously it talks about Stretch and Bobito show and, and kind of the rise of that and how they pushed through so many um, of these artists. And they talk about DITC at the time, obviously like Big L and all these guys. And they felt at the time that OC was the one who was going to be like the, the Nas, Jay-Z levels, like... They really felt he was the one that was going to be the biggest and was really going to put New York on the map. And it's kind of interesting how like things just happen and you can't really predict the way things are going to go and it doesn't always pan out that way. So it's, it is mad like how certain artists get really highly rated and other artists just don't seem to get it for whatever reason. But um, yes, su- super interesting. Great, great question, um, Jen. So thanks for that, mate. Uh, we had another one from uh, SK4M1. He asks, uh, one for Tony. Did Nas inspire or more gash you to spit harder or step up your game? He set a world hip-hop standard with this album. Um, big ups to Notorious P.O.D. Big ups to yourself as well, mate. Um, so, Tone, what's, um, what are you saying about Nas as an inspiration for yourself, mate? Yeah, I think, uh, honestly, like, the first person who really made, made me want to rap was Ice Cube. But that was, like, late 80s, early 90s. Um, when I started to actually rap and to rap, because I, I freestyled for years. I'd freestyled for, like, an hour, an hour, just an hour at a time, put a beat on, I just rap for an hour, but nothing written. Uh, when I started to write, Nas was probably the person who I most, uh, I would say Nas and Big L. Um, I had, I had a, a freestyle. I had Nas freestyling on Westwood and then on the same tape, I had a Big L rap and this Big L rap was impeccable. There's like this eight bars from it are from MVP, but yeah. it's really, it's just like a, three minute freestyle and it's incredible and but those two guys really made me okay how do i do that 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 was kind of where i was at how do i how do i do that how do i make my thing how do i represent it like that how do i um like i said earlier about nas kind of being a kid who looked out the window and was able to translate everything that he saw in like through the tip of a pen um that was really what I was aiming to do. And I, I studied the shit out of Nas. Um, and that whole Illmatic album. But again, technically, in terms of where I think the words go and where the breath should go and how you construct bars, he's not the most technically proficient MC I've ever come across. I much prefer a Jada Kiss or a Big L or a pun. Um, but Nas definitely did make me step up. He did give me that that impetus to to be able to tell to be able to tell everyone's story through my story. That's what he kind of inspired me to do. Love that, mate. Perfectly, perfectly summed up. Um, and that that moves us on really nicely, actually, to um, favorite lyrics or verses from this album. Um, I'm gonna start with you, T. Um, I always think it's really interesting to kind of get people's favorite verses and lyrics because often then they don't always match up with their favorite tracks and sometimes like 
there's just hot lines in other in other songs. So um, let's start with you, Matt. I'd be interested to know what you like. If there are any standout lyrics or any particular verses from this album that you just you just always love. God, I'm sounding, I'm sounding old as fuck on this podcast, but um, there are some there's some albums in that become within the lexicon, the pantheon of hip hop as a whole. And there's so many bars in this album that are just a part of hip hop, whether it be you know rappers are monkey flip em, or half man half amazing, and you know kick this girl like Shaquille holds a pill. But um, there's just so many bars in. I mean, it ain't hard to tell with the track I frowned on at the time, but there's so many little bars in that that I just kind of um, loved so much. So I think it's a combination of that and New York State of Mind. I'd say has our favorite looks in the album. You know. Um, don't put my shit in that box if that shit eats tapes. I don't know if I've got that line wrong. Because back then, man, there's so many tapes I'd be putting a bit of Pritch Dick and super glue on to try and save the tape that got eaten up in a boombox. And yeah. it's just amazing. I really love that bar. So I'd probably say that one. Fair. And how about how about you, T? Uh, Tone, how about you oh. in terms of uh, favourite lyrics or verses? There must be buckets on here. Well, do you know what? Do you know what's so crazy that Everything that T just said, I was like, yep, that's a bar, that's a bar, that's a bar. Um, but personally, um, do you know what, saying that just today, listening to New, uh, New York State of Mind, every single thing that he raps on, that, that every line is just impeccable. It's, it's incredible, man. Um, but, uh, yeah, do you know what, if he wasn't hanging out in front of cocaine spots, we was at the candy factory, breaking the locks. You see that? <laughs> Like, as a kid, as a kid, we used to hang out on the block, like, where they, like, everyone was doing their thing. The oldest was, was doing their thing and selling their bits and pieces and whatnot. And then, like, the first time I got nicked was because we broke into a paper factory trying to steal magazines and shit. Like, it was, uh, and I was, like, 12 years old, you know what I mean? So there was, like, bits of it that's just like, oh, wow. I couldn't ask. It's like a hard relate, man. But, um... I think my favorite verse probably would be the if I'm if I remember correctly the one they lifted from the song and inserted into the into the movie Belly in One Love the last verse where he's talking to the little man on the bench yeah um, and he just yeah I, I dropped jewels I'd put jewels in his skull that he could sell if he chose just see little things like that I dropped jewels in his skull that he could sell if he chose it's just Ah um, oh man, I stood up wiping the blunt ash from my clothes. I froze only to blow the herb smoke through my nose. It's just simple stuff like that that describe what you're doing or describe something that's way bigger, but you managed to do it in two lines. Um, so probably, yeah, anything from that verse there, that one love verse where he's talking to the kid on a bench, I say that's Im impeccable. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Um, like I mentioned earlier, my favorite track is um life's a bitch and i think az's verse so when when i like first heard it or when i listened to it most times i kind of it washes over me a little bit and i actually and like i feel like it's the, the style of it and his voice is like it cuts through with the instrumental so perfectly but when you actually listen to the bars again it's like we talk about nas's poetry on this album but like nas's uh, az's verse is like Visualizing the realism of life in actuality. Fuck who's the baddest. The person's status depends on salary. And my mentality is money orientated. I'm destined to live the dream for all my peeps who never made it. That is fucking incredible. And like the yeah. whole the whole thing just works its way through in terms of like, you know, talking and setting a scene of what they've seen and what they've experienced. And yeah, his verse is, is fucking good. Nice. 
We were beginners in the hood as 5% as Basata Masa got in us because all of us turned to sinners. That, that's one of them things. But I was, a, I was like a, a choir boy. Do you know what I mean? I was a Catholic. I was a uh, altar boy. Do you know what I mean? I was proper. And then I hit 12 and it all went like, it just chaos, chaos. So just that thing that like we grew up as 5% as then something must have got in us because all of us turned to sinners. And I like me and all my friends, we were just good kids in primary school and we left. And then it just seemed, yeah, we just did the baddest things ever we could do. Whatever we could do that was naughty, we tried to do, man. You write that verse, is crazy. It's, it's, it's so good. And like, you can, you can take like one-off lines through it. Like, that, that are amazing you look at the whole thing and it's like in its piece and you you see what they're trying to talk about in the context of the song like it's it's just it's such such a good verse um and it like complements the whole song and then like i said when you when you come out of that uh chorus and then come into nas's verse as well i think those two verses back to back are like two of the best like verses in in hip-hop probably i really think it's that good um so yeah them, them two would be my favorite verses i think which is Kind of obvious it's my favorite track but um i just think actually wordplay wise is is it's great um cool all right let's um let's move forward we had a question from uh connor at connor g regular listener um he did ask us kind of something we've already covered which was how would nas be viewed in the world of hip-hop if you'd never released illmatic and started with with it was written so we've covered that so connor i hope we, we gave you an answer to that one um gary bacon what a great name gary bacon asks uh illmatic aside this is harsh as well. Nas has never made a good album. Surely must can be considered a bit of a flop in terms of what he's done. And I love him. Thoughts, Gary. I think we we covered your uh, we covered your answer. Um, we got some tricky ones here just to just to wrap up with for this pod. Um, uh, Gary Gary Roy Smith at Gary Marina 07, obviously um, regular on this pod, um, giving us his insight onto the blueprint on our last episode. Um, he's he's asked us this question, and Tone, I think this is with you in mind, mate. Um, when you were on talking about uh, reasonable doubt, he's put. You have to choose either Illmatic or Reasonable Doubt. The other doesn't exist. Which are you going for and why? And then he's just put, have a good one, boys. <laughs> I, think that, <laughs> I think he knows that's a killer. So, um, so Tone, let's oh, you, mate. Oh, mate. Um, do you know... Oh, mate. Ha. Do you know what? I'd say Jay, largely, his entire career has had a bigger impact on me than Nazis has. Mm. But I'd take Illmatic over Reasonable Doubt just because I, it came out first, I heard it first, and what it meant for me at that time was was everything. So yeah, I've, I've I'd, oh, mate, I reluctantly get rid of Reasonable Doubt if I have to choose between that and Illmatic. Very reluctantly, though. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a brutal question. It's just, it's like Sophie's choice. There's, there's no there's no right answer here. Um, T, T, what are you going for, mate? A much easier choice for me is Illmatic. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep Illmatic. Fair. Well, I'll, I'll buck the trend because um, I love Illmatic. But actually, if I if I look kind of like track for track, there's probably one or two more tracks that I just prefer on Reasonable Doubt. Um, but yeah, again, flip a coin and you, you'll get a, you'll get an answer that I can agree with. So fair enough. Um, one more question from MF Gloom at Pontification. Again, regular listener, big up, always gives us uh, solid questions. He's put, you've had plenty of questions already, but if you get the chance, can you ask this? What would be your three quintessential uh, New York rap albums and why? It doesn't have to be limited to the 90s either. Um, so Thelonious, 
let's um let's go through the list. We talk all the time about how my my bias to New York City rap albums is. So <laughs> I, I'm not going to answer this one, um, and I'll let you go. So you can have it. Doesn't have to be limited to the '90s. But what are your three best New York City rap albums? That's fucking tough because I guess the the peak of New York is the early '90s, really, isn't it? But yeah. then yeah. Primo's from Texas, so does a gangster album count as a New York album? Guru's from Boston, right? Yeah. So I that's mean, a, that's yeah, but then we're getting into all sorts of shit because no no one's saying, oh well, two packs from New York, so he's an East Coast rapper. No no yeah. one's saying that. So yeah, I think I think Gangstar's got to count as New York. Well, I probably pick um hard to earn. That's that's very very New York. Um. And now I'm gonna talk about. And now I'm gonna talk about every fucking episode I'm on there is Diamond D, Transplants, and Hip Hop. That's very, very New York. Um, God, I'm trying to think of what else actually. Um, the thing of most deaf is that Black on Both Sides is quite, it's quite a universal album. But Eastern New York, so I'm putting that one in. And um, well, I have to have another think. But Are the Rugged Man? Legends Never Die. And that's more recent album, but that's that's very New York, so I'll probably have that one too. Fair. How about you, Tone? Um, I'm gonna go with Ilmatic. Um Back the Fuck Up by Onyx. Yes, yes, uh, yes. And then do you know what? The Yard Father by Saigon. That, and I know it's it's not an album, it's a mixtape. Um, and it's like 2001, maybe. But yeah, I'm going to go with that. The Yard Father, Onyx, Back the Fuck Up, and Nas Ilmatic. Fair. Fucking good good selection of albums. I mean... Uh, I've I said, got 36 Chambers, fuck. That, yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just go 36 Chambers, uh, Reasonable Doubt, and The Infamous. Bang. Ooh, I forgot it! Yeah. <laughs> that, that turns 25 this week yeah fucking that and um that and outcast seven playlistic i think same same week that got released fucking hell Whoa. this getting old malarkey's no fun is it first <laughs> no, <not at all. laughs> no this is i think this is the biggest problem when we do this like pod is like we're looking back on these eras and, and reminiscing it and then we like go oh yeah it's the 25th anniversary of this album yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. All right, boys. Well, look, um, I think that that wraps up uh, this episode. Thank you so much for joining us, boys. Really, really appreciate it. Um, T, thanks for joining us, mate. We'll be back for another Hip Hop Forum episode where we cover more uh, kind of general hip hop chat. Um, so we'll be back soon for that one. So thanks a lot, mate. If people want to follow you, no where worries. Um, Thelonious Filth everywhere. So Thelonious, like the jazz musician, and Filth as in dirt everywhere. Beautiful. Uh, and Tone, mate, thanks as always for coming on. Really appreciate your insight uh, as always. Great to have you on, mate. Um, if people want to follow you and check you out, where can they find you, mate? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me, brother. It's been an absolute pleasure. And you can catch me on Twitter, Tony D. Poison. Uh, catch me on Insta, Tony D. Poison. And that's, yeah, that's all you need to know, mate, to be honest. Mate, the pleasure is always mine. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, if you like the podcast and you want to leave us a five-star review, what we'd like in return is to know your top five favourite MCs because uh, that is interesting to us. So please uh, go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review and tell us your top five favourite MCs of all time. Um, thanks very much for joining us and get ready for the next episode. Peace. Peace.
Thank you for listening to the Notorious P.O.D., a hip-hop podcast. Big up to man like Grindhouse, who's made all the theme music for the show. So please follow him on Twitter and show him some love. At Music Grindhouse and on Spotify by searching for Grindhouse. That's G-R-I-N-D, house. Please remember to leave us a review, or as we call it, your five for five. So give us a five-star review, and in return, you can leave us your top five favourite MCs of all time. Remember, we'll be adding all the songs mentioned and featured in our episodes on a Spotify playlist. So if you search for the Notorious Podcast joints, you will find it. If you don't already, please follow us on Twitter at NotoriousP underscore O underscore D. On Instagram, we're at the Notorious P-O-D. And follow me on Insta and Twitter at the Real John Bass. That's J-O-N-B-A-S-S. See you next time. Peace. Peace.